Father which art in heaven hallowed be thy Thy kingdom come Thy will be done On earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the Give us our daily bread and help us to preach. Preach to us, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you remember, a few weeks ago we were preaching through John chapter 6. Had two sermons on it, and today we're continuing. And hopefully you also remember that John chapter 6 begins with a question. Uh, you remember that uh, Jesus leads a crowd of people into the countryside or into the wilderness, and once they're there, he asks his disciples, how are we gonna buy bread to feed all of these people? It's a question that's uh, familiar, I think, to all of us. How will I satisfy the hunger in my soul? Uh, 
How will I feed my family and my friends? How will we nourish this world plagued with famine? Every week I ask, what is it? (laughs) What is it that will feed this congregation? Because you know people leave church and, and they grumble. They say stuff like, I didn't get fed. Pastor, how are you gonna feed me? Pastor, how are you gonna get me to where I need to be, where, where we're going? And by the way, where are we going? Because honestly, it feels sometimes like we're just wandering around out here in the wilderness, not exactly knowing where we're going, just stopping every now and then to, to have communion. How are we gonna get to where we're going? What is it that you're trying to do? What is it that you're trying to say what is it that you're trying to feed us pastor so so i i feel the the question how will we feed all these people and how do we feed all these different people in all these different places if you would take just a moment and look at this screen And I want you to pick one of these adjectives, okay? Everybody has to pick one, all right? Just one for how you feel right now, okay? Has everybody got their, raise your hand when you got your adjective. Raise your, okay, come on, get your adjective. Hurry up, Matt, get your, okay, all right. Now you put your hands down. Um, How many of you feel angry? Go ahead, raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah? Maybe one, two, okay. That's okay, because uh, Jesus felt angry. But uh, what am I to say to, to you? What is it that, that you need? Okay, how many of you feel anxious or afraid? Okay. What is it that you need? How many of you, you, you know, you look up there, you go, I'm happy, you just want a party. Yeah, okay, what is it that you need this morning? What do, I, what do I need to say to you? What do you need to hear? How many of you just, just wanna cry? How many of you wanna hide? I mean, you just feel guilty, shame. You just, just kinda wanna hide. Now, that's a trick question, right? Because I'm asking you to raise your hand after I said how you wanna, <laughs> wanna hide. That was kinda, kinda sick and twisted of me. How many of you uh, just feel like you're forsaken? Yeah. And how many of you feel so broken that you just want to go get a drink and drink till you're drunk? Now, what word could I speak that would nourish people in all these places? What program? What policy? What plan? What, what lesson? What is it? Well, I've prayed for it. People worldwide long for it. Little kids dream about it. Something, something, something kind of like this. Just in, our humiliated weather intern is apparently back for more. Thanks, Patrick. Okay, everybody, you are not going to believe this one, but I am standing in the middle of a burger rain. You may have seen a meteor shower, but you've never seen a shower meteor than this. For a town stuck eating sardines, this is totally manna from heaven. <laughs> okay, so that's Sam Sparks the weather girl in the recent movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. The kid in the lab coat is Flick, who has invented a machine that causes it to rain food uh, from heaven, which is really good news in this little fishing town uh, with a bad economy where they have uh, been forced to live on nothing but sardines. Sam, the weather girl, says, this is totally manna from heaven. Manna from heaven, manna, that's interesting. 
For it turns out that John chapter 6 is all about manna. In John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 in the wilderness with miracle bread. And then you'll remember that Jesus walks on the water uh, across the sea. Um, This is like a a new exodus uh, uh, to a new promised land. And then he starts talking about manna. We first learn about manna in Exodus 16 when the Israelites start to grumble. They're upset and they're worried about their future. They're longing for the past. Exodus 16.10, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning, you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, finest frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another in Hebrew, manha. What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And then Moses explains some rules about manna. You may may remember this. He says, gather it each one of you as much as you can eat, but don't store it up. Because if you do, it will stink. You see, manna is now, it's like daily bread. Manna is new every morning. It, it won't keep except on the Sabbath, the seventh day. Like that day is eternally now and forever new. Well, well, manna, you remember, it's on the, on the dew. Manna is everywhere, but the only time that manna can be found is now. Perhaps the most amazing thing about manna, however, is, is its name. Recently heard a sermon on this. Craig Brian Larson said that the greatest thing about manna is its name. I mean, you may have noticed when we, we read it, it manna literally means in Hebrew, What is it? Well, that means that every morning, a Hebrew mother, probably even on Mother's Day, unless it was a Sunday, well, that that wasn't the Sabbath then, but anyway, every every morning, Hebrew mother would go out and she would collect, and I think they called it an omer, like a quart of of manna for, for for her household, come back and prepare it as creatively as she possibly could. Then she'd set it on the table in front of the family. The kids would take a look at it and then they would say, what is it? Yes, she would reply. And you see, uh, we are a mother, the church is a mother, and I think we're still called to serve the very same breakfast. Pastor, I feel like we're just wandering in the desert. What is it that you're trying to say? What is it that you'll do for me and my family? What is it? What are you going to do? Well, have some of this. What is it? Exactly. See, the answer to our question is another question. On the journey, God feeds us with a question. So if you don't ask, what is it? Perhaps you're not eating your dinner. Of what is it? And check this out. The Israelites were never told to understand manna. They were told to eat manna. If you think about it, that's the way it is with with all food. Food is life, and and no one can make life. That is, no one can can make food. We can only take food, take life, and eat it. In other words, no one understands it. Not not really. We try, but but we don't. You, You don't begin to understand the biomechanics of a cheeseburger. And yet, you eat it, taste it, Chew it, digest it, experience it. 
you trust it. People say, I can't trust God. I don't understand him. Well, that's strange. Because you trust cheeseburgers. You don't understand them. Well, God feeds them with what is it, a question. Perhaps the right question nourishes faith more than a, a list of, of answers. God feeds them with what is it, what is it? And, and he seems to take what is it rather personally. In Numbers 11, you may remember this. The Israelites, towards the end of their journey, they start complaining about the manna. You know, they're just kind of sick of it. And, and God gets so furious, he almost like fries the entire nation. And it kind of makes you wonder. What is it about what is it that God takes so personally? Personally. Deuteronomy 8, toward the end of the journey, Moses uh, says to Israel, the Lord has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with what is it? You remember Eve tried to feed herself with what? The knowledge of good and evil, knowledge rather than trust. Moses said, he fed you with what is it? Which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So manna is like bread, but it's more than bread. It's, it's word. And the Father wants Israel to trust his word, feed on his word, for man cannot live by bread alone, by food from the sky alone. In Cloudy with a chance of meatballs, Flick discovers that what he's really hungry for is the love of his Father. Hey, Dad, I'm headed back to the lab. If you want to come, I could show you how I make the food. Um, no, thanks. That, that techno food, uh, it's, it's too complicated for an old fisherman. Got it. Could still use your help around here, though, you know. I'm working with the mayor now, Dad. I mean, the town's grand reopening is in like a week. Right. Got it. See, the problem is that his father can't seem to find the right words. And Flick struggle, struggles to trust his father's words. They're all just fishing metaphors that he d doesn't really get, understand. Well, food from the sky do doesn't work out so well in the movie. But on the journey, which is the story, Flick learns to trust the true bread, the real manna. Now, uh, you hear me make a fishing metaphor. Just know that fishing metaphor means I love my son. I love you too, Dad. Hmm. Well, you see, that's the real manna. The word of the Father. Well, that's just a stupid kids movie. Back to the Bible. Manna, what is it? it? It remains a mystery for 1,500 years. I mean, God lets the Israelites live with this question for 1,500 years. He seems to be okay with the question, what is it? What is it for 1,500 years? So John chapter six, let's read it. When they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, not because of what they pointed to. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be working the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe, pistis, trust, faith, that you trust in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and trust you? 
What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the, the what is it? They ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Did, 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 did you get that? The answer to the question which was an answer to another question, is an even better question. What is it is actually, who is it? The bread of God is he, says Jesus, who comes down and gives life to the world. He gives his, his life to the world. He gives. That's like present tense, like it's happening right now. And to the world, not just to like a few people, but to the whole world. Gives his life to the world. Remember what we already read, John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, the Father's, the Father's Word. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life is the light of men. Life, we're talking about bread of life here. Uh, light of men, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It's like the manna, the life, the, the music is in the world and it's all around us. But we don't see it. We don't hear it. Ingest it, trust it. Because we don't know what it is or even better, we don't know who it is. Who he is. Around 8 a.m. on the morning of January 12, 2007, a man in a baseball cap played a violin in a subway station in Washington, D.C. The music filled the station, surrounded everyone there. He played for 45 minutes, and 1,097 people passed by. Only six people stopped. And only for a moment. Lots, lots of children stopped, but, but every parent forced their children to keep moving. The man collected $32.17, but, but no one applauded when he was done. The concert was caught on videotape, and uh, this is actually a portion of that videotape. Pretty good, huh? Music was gorgeous and it was absolutely everywhere and it filled that space which everyone walked through and it was free. It was free. And yet he was playing on a $3.5 million violin. Just two days before, he had sold out an entire theater in Boston where the average cost of a seat was $100. What is it? Even better, who is it? Well, that was Joshua Bell, perhaps the best violinist in the world. Joshua. Yeshua. Do you know him? Would you like to know him? Because maybe, you know, we're like those people traveling through the subway, surrounded by music, but we can't hear it. And we don't see the musician. Perhaps we're thinking about the past, where we've been, like the Israelites kept thinking about Egypt. 
Perhaps we're desperate to get to where we're going, like the Israelites just longed for the promised land. What if heaven, our promised land, is a concert? Well, then to truly arrive in that place, we'd have to develop an ear for the music that's being played, right? What if heaven is a banquet? Well, then to truly arrive at that banquet, we'd have to have an appetite for what's being served, right? I wonder if any of those people were on their way to a concert. Wouldn't that be ironic? Are you on your way to a banquet? Are you sure you have an appetite for what's being served? Perhaps we hear the music but, but don't really listen to the music because it's free or because we think that it, it may cost us somehow. Perhaps we, we hear but we don't really listen because we don't trust the musician and we do not have an appetite for grace, what's being served. Well, after John writes, John 1.10, he who was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world knew him not, then John writes this, the word, the logos, the, the rhythm, the meaning, the life became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace. Perhaps he wants us to trust him. So in John 6, Jesus says this, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am, ego me, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever trusts in me shall never thirst. Do you ever thirst? I do. Means I don't trust him completely yet. You know, trust is not the product of the intellect because I would answer Jesus on all the questions on a test. It's not simply the result of figuring stuff out by analyzing what it is. You know, I trust my wife more than any person alive, but that sure isn't the result of critical analysis, and I sure as heck have not figured her out. And yet I trust her. That trust comes from 27 years of walking together, communion on a shared journey communion. So, so, so you see, our destination is our, our journey because our destination is a communion of trust built with our journey. You know, at the beginning of our journey, our journey in Eden, we didn't trust that our father was good. We didn't trust that he'd feed us at the right time and get us to where we were going, his, his image. According to scripture, every problem in this world is the fact that we do not trust our Father's heart. We say, what is it? Is it good? And now Jesus, the word of the Father, from the bosom of the Father continues, John 6, 36. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not trust. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, literally into him, on him, even by means of him, through him, everyone who trusts on him 
should have eternal life, the life of the age, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's, that's pretty dang good. Listen, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, which is all the Father gives me, right, I will never cast out. Well, this seems to be a pretty important question then. How much does the Father give the Son? John 3, verse 35, Jesus has already said it. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. All that the Father gives me, which is all things, all that the Father gives me will come to me and I will never cast out all things. Behold, I make all things new, says Jesus from the throne in John's revelation. I mean, perhaps you can't figure that out. But can you trust it? The word of God. Some people don't want to trust it. Next verse. So the Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? See, the Jews thought that they controlled the manna. In fact, for a long, long time, many, many years, they kept some, according to them, in a jar in the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, guarded by stone and soldiers. When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, that temple ripped open and was utterly destroyed. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Check this out. He doesn't blame them for not coming to him because they can't. They can't have faith until God gives them faith. But check this out. These religious people are proud of their, quote, faith. Are you proud of your faith? then it's not faith. It's flesh. Because faith is a gift of the Father, which comes by grace, not by works, lest none should boast. Now, if you said, yes, that's cool, you can be proud of Jesus and all that stuff, but, but you get what I'm saying. It's not you that makes the faith. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, draws him. You know, the word draw is used just a few times in the, in the Gospel of John. In John 21, it's a fishing metaphor, like a fisherman draws his net. God draws people. In John 12, Jesus tells us what the net is. John 12, 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw. I think a great translation is romance because scripture tells us he, he draws us with loving kindness. Nothing is more powerful than the romance of God, the, the loving kindness that, that is God. Jesus knew that when the people chased him and tried to make him king earlier in the chapter. Perhaps that's why he ran away. He wanted more power than that. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will romance, draw all people to myself. He, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. To romance a person is to win their trust so they trust your love and surrender to the music that has become you. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that, uh, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever trusts has eternal life. Literally the life of the age. God's age. So to believe is the presence of the future. It's the very presence of your destination. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, literally into the age. It's the life of, of another age. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's manna. What is it? What is it? This. Waokulu, the now Kishmi, the Lukomi Heath. should ask him. After all, it's manna. What is it? You know, we all ask, what is it? For what is it is everywhere. All creation is the manifestation of the Father's word. But that word became flesh at one moment, in one space, in time. That word became flesh and his name is Jesus. Not just a formula, a list, a law, a plan, but a living person. Jesus, what is it? Is, is it actually who is it? So, so can you trust him? Look, he was crucified for you. Can you trust him? Where is it? Literally everywhere that's anywhere. He is literally the life of the world given at the cross. This is the plan for the fullness of time, writes Paul. To reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Everywhere, God is telling the story of Jesus and his cross. Paul writes, our fathers ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. 
for they drank from the same spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Remember in the Exodus story of the rock that kind of followed him and water came out of him? You thought, well, that's freaky weird. What the heck is that? That was Christ, writes Paul. And I don't think he means it as, as a metaphor. It's reality. Manna is all around you. It's all around you, and yet you can only eat it now. Now is the day of salvation. His mercies are new every morning. I could get real scientific about all that. The speed of light, all is eternally present. So eternity touches time. Now, I could get really philosophical about that. We only know life, know love, know others. Now, I could get real theological about that, that the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. It, it's, it's now, egos, it's near at hand. But perhaps the best way to think of it is that God gives us Daily manna. You see, the problem is, I want yearly manna, right? I want storehouses of manna. I want to control the manna. So I don't have to trust God for manna. But you can't store the manna from the past. You can't keep it for the future. Manna is the bread of life now. We, we, we think if only I'd done things differently in the past. Well, then I'd really be living now. Or we think if, if only this or that would happen in the future, well then, well then, oh then I'd be living, I'd be living then. No. Life is now. We can only experience life and know life now. So lose the present and you lose the manna. And the only way to the promised land, to eternal life, is, is manna. The only way to then and there is here and now. Manna is the presence of your destination. Manna is life, provision. It's life on the journey. I mean, it's like manna is the way. Manna is the way. <laughs> well, Jesus is the way, right? He's the manna. You see, God is constantly setting the stage of your life. And through Jesus, he is constantly romancing you on that stage. Your destination is the kingdom of love. And he is teaching you to trust his love everywhere, all the time. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the children say to Aslan the lion, will you tell us how to get into your country from our world? They're stressed because they're having to leave Narnia. Will you tell us how to get into your country from our world? And Aslan replies, I will be telling you all the time. The French mystic Jean Guion wrote this. You must utterly believe that the circumstances of your life, that is, every minute of your life, as well as the whole course of your life, anything, yes, everything that happens, have all come to you by his will and by his permission. You must utterly believe that everything that has happened to you is from God and is exactly what you need. He's teaching you to trust. And Jesus is trust. He's your manna. He descends into your life to live his life in you. And so every moment you must feed on him. What is it? Who is it? When and where is it? How do I eat it? How do I feed on How How do I feed on him? I don't know exactly. And maybe that's why it's a, it's a question. He wants you, wherever you are, whenever you are, to seek him. Every moment of your life, each person has to gather manna. Each person has to ask the question. You know, asking questions builds trust between persons. Jesus, the person, has joined you on your journey. Or perhaps you have joined Jesus on his journey. So ask him, what are you doing, Jesus? 
What are we doing right now, today? Feed on him. As Jesus puts it, abide in me. As Paul puts it, pray constantly. As Brother Andrew put it, practice the presence of God. Always be aware of Christ's presence in your life. If you want to run away all of a sudden, well, confess yourself to him. If, on the other hand, you're grateful, tell him, praise him. If you're confused, consult with him. Uh, Ask him, talk to him, do all your work for him and with him. Experience life with him. He comes to you disguised as your life, writes Paul to R.C. You see, he is life. He is the bread of life. And so he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and comprehend, no. Analyze, no. Write a book on it, divide the church over it, no. Eat it, eat it. And in the same manner after supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. Remember me, remember me, remember me. And do you see that this table is about so much more than just this table? In fact, this table is all your life. It's about every moment of your life for this table is life. Life is communion with Jesus. So what is it that I can preach to feed this crowd, all these people in all these different places? Jesus. So if you you feel angry, be angry with Jesus. He knows how to be angry. He'll help you be angry in the right way and surrender your anger. He can clean any messy temple. Are you afraid? Well, feed on Jesus. Check it out. He conquered death. You want to party? Do you understand that this, this table is the beginning of the great banquet that lasts forever and ever and ever? You want to cry? Well, this is the place to surrender your tears. You feel shame. You want to hide? Well, hide in him. He'll cover you. Do you feel forsaken? Feel forsaken with him. In fact, he'll even help you cry, my God, my God, why? Why? He'll help you and he'll finish the song in your heart. Do you feel broken? Feel like this? so that you just want to drink and drink until you're drunk. Well, look. Look at the table. You see, he is the Father's word of love growing in you. He is your life. One of the few documented miracles from uh, Lourdes, France, occurred in 1957. One of my favorite stories, a French father took his uh, son on a pilgrimage, on a journey from Brittany to Lourdes. His son was born blind. When they got to Lourdes, the son asked the father to pray for him, and so the father said he would, and he cried out to God, Oh God, would you restore the sight of my son? And immediately, the son was healed. He opened his eyes, and he saw flowers. He saw trees. He saw the grass of the field and the open sky. And then he looked into his father's eyes. The eyes that went with the only voice that he had heard through all those long years of darkness and loneliness. And this is what he said. At that moment, this is what he said. Oh boy. Everybody's here. Everybody's here. 
You see, in this dark and lonely world that leaves you so very hungry, feed on manna. And one day, at the end of your journey, you will look into your father's eyes and you will say something like this. It's you! It was always you! You're the music! You're my life! And you love me in every moment, in every place, all the time. You love me. And I love you. That's heaven. And actually, you can say that right here, right now, as we worship. Dark cups are wine. Light cups are juice. Scripture says the life is in the blood. So come forward, take some bread. Uh, scripture also says that you are his body. Dip it in the cup and ingest it. You see, his life belongs in your body, the sanctuary, his bride. In Jesus' name, believe it and live. Amen. So as you're wandering around in this life, on this journey, don't you ever like go out at night under the stars, look up into heaven and go, what is it? Pastor, Father God, what is it that you're trying to say? What is it that all this stuff is about? What is everything about? What is it? Answer? This. The entire creation, my son, is a stage to show you my love. I want you to trust. You know, if you really believe that, well, you wouldn't worry about anything, would you? Nothing could really get you down for long. And you'd have incredible courage. Years ago, God showed me that miraculously. I didn't have time to tell you this story, but I, I was amazed afterward because I found it just like impossible to worry. <laughs> Lasted about a month, then it went away. <laughs> God has more to teach me. And what he's teaching me is this. Son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. And I am preparing you forever to dwell in my love. That's life. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.